You're listening to an episode of Voices of 100%, a new multi-part series from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance's Local Energy Rules podcast, where we're speaking with local leaders from across the country to understand their reasons for pursuing a 100% renewable energy goal, how their city plans to achieve that goal, and what these visionaries see as the future of local renewable energy. Across the country, more than 50 cities of all sizes have adopted ambitious goals to generate 100% of their electricity from renewable resources. But how do these cities plan to get there? This week, I talk with Megan O'Neill, Energy Programs Manager with the City of Atlanta, about that city's 100% renewable energy commitment, why they're taking the high road, and how they plan to get there. Megan, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. So I just wanted to start off by asking you, why has Atlanta made a commitment to 100% renewable energy? And, you know, would you say it was more of a goal that was motivated by outside pressure, uh, by constituents, or something developed internal to the city? I would say that this was both motivated internally and externally. Atlanta has a long track record of leading the South in sustainability and an energy efficiency policy and renewable energy adoption through our leadership, by example, as a municipality, after the Trump administration decided to pull out of the Paris Climate Accords, we, just like many other cities in the U.S., felt it was really, the responsibility fell on us as a city and a major emitter of carbon emissions within our region to do everything we could on our own to help advance the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. And I think that's where this target really emerged was our desire to help lead the way in the absence of federal guidance. So, you know, according to their website, your electric utility, Georgia Power, sold just 3% renewable energy in 2017. So I'm curious, how have they reacted to the city's uh, proposed goal? And, and how do you, do you expect that they will be helpful in the city reaching that goal? Or do you think they might be a hindrance? To achieve this goal of 100% clean energy by 2035, Georgia Power is an essential partner. They were one of the very first organizations we spoke with after our city council decided to commit the city to transition to 100% clean energy, and we've spoken with them quite a bit since. We have a long positive relationship with Georgia Power, and I expect that we'll be able to work together to do what we can to advance this goal. As you're probably aware, Southern Company recently made a commitment to go to carbon neutral or zero emissions. And as a Southern Company subsidiary, Georgia Power will be working in that direction moving forward as well. You know, I actually hadn't heard of that goal from Southern Companies. Is there a date for it or just is it a long-term vision? I believe it's 2050. Very cool. I was looking at an Inside Climate News article uh, that was in June, uh, suggesting that the city was really wanting to make a genuine commitment to uh, how to reach this 100% goal by developing local renewable resources. So it kind of laid out three different paths that uh, city leaders, and I'm assuming you are part of this, were considering. Uh, So the easy path that was mentioned was uh, purchasing renewable energy credits. So basically the renewable attribute of projects that may or may not be located in Atlanta or even in Georgia. Um, so I was curious with, you know, your relationship with Georgia Power, although recognizing they're regulated at the state level, you know, what are the tools that you feel like the city has to advance renewable energy locally and meet that goal? So the city has several levers at its disposal from obviously the easiest way to 
move entirely to clean energy is to demand less of it. So our focus area from the beginning is going to be energy efficiency, building more efficient buildings and making the buildings we have even more efficient than they are already. And that is something over which we, as a city in the state of Georgia, have control. We can set our own building codes and require buildings to become even more efficient than the state mandate. That's a benefit that I know jurisdictions in other parts of the country do not have and one that we plan to take advantage of. In terms of renewables, we will certainly help promote adoption of rooftop solar, green space solar, where it makes sense for consumers. We as a municipality and asset manager are currently in the process of putting about over one megawatt of solar across several of our city facilities that will be financed through what we in Georgia call a solar energy procurement agreement, what's known elsewhere in the country as a power purchase agreement. It'll be the first third-party finance solar project of its kind in the state of Georgia once we get the panels connected. And so by really leading the way and working with Georgia Power to figure out how this framework works for solar is helping other consumers who may not have the resources that we as a city have to be able to adopt similar financing mechanisms for solar at their own facilities. So you you just talked about this third-party financing, and I remember there was uh, quite a political conversation for a while about having that adopted, but something struck me in one of the uh, news pieces about Atlanta's commitment that I had seen, which was about um, looking for other financing tools for other customers, and maybe that was kind of what you were getting at, it had triggered in my mind uh, this notion of what's called inclusive financing or pay as you save where folks can finance energy improvements on their utility bill. Is that kind of what you're getting at that you're working with uh, Georgia Power on ways that the city and other customers would be able to finance energy improvements through their uh, Georgia Power electric bill? I guess I should restate my answer to the previous question a little bit and reword it somewhat, which is I said we're working with Georgia Power on this sort of new financing project. What I meant was that for the PPA that we have in place, it, since it's the first of its kind in the state, there were there's a certain learning curve to making sure we have all the correct documents lined up, all the processes in place between all of the different parties involved. And fortunately, we as a city have the staff resources available to really go through this what can be a complicated process at time that may be prohibitively difficult for your everyday homeowner. And so by us ironing out all of those kinks and getting all these organizations involved, very familiar with how this works, setting up a just the standard process, that's something that will be more easily scalable to other consumers who may want to embark in a similar sort of PTA or SEPA agreement in this area. Because SEPAs were actually illegal in the state of Georgia until the state legislature voted to authorize them in 2015 through a broad coalition. So it's, while in other areas they've been around a while, there's still, it's still new ground for us. And then in terms of pay-as-you-save programs and other sorts of financing opportunities that may be available, I know that there are many local advocacy groups that are looking specifically into the pay-as-you-save program and others. But from a current city program standpoint, I will say that 
we have been working for many years to develop a property assessed clean energy program for commercial properties in partnership with Invest Atlanta, our economic development agency. And yesterday, Invest Atlanta's board actually voted to approve a program. So pending some additional steps surrounding the bond validation, we will most likely have a commercial PACE program up and running by the end of the year. So in other cities that we've talked to, like uh, Georgetown, Texas, or Pueblo, Colorado, that have made 100% commitments, cost has been a big factor in the decision. And in both of those cases, renewable energy was projected to help lower energy costs. Um, Is that true for Atlanta? Are electric customers likely to save money by the city's uh, pursuit of 100% renewable energy? At this time, with our current low rates in the region, I would say the cost for every single consumer under the way pricing works right now would not save money. That said, we have a 2035 goal and we're in 2018 right now. So a priority is on making energy more affordable for all Atlantans. Really the first driver towards working towards that goal is to focus in on energy efficiency and improving the building stock that we have. More efficient buildings will lower utility bills for consumers. And then as we move forward and get further renewables adoption locally, that will help bring the cost of renewables down. So Sierra Club and others that were involved in, I think in in Atlanta, but as well in helping other cities set these goals have talked a lot about making sure that when you're getting to 100% that the renewable energy benefits everybody. Uh, And I think you kind of alluded to that in the previous question. Is there a particular focus on helping low-income residents of Atlanta and others either access solar or have other strategies to reduce their energy costs? Yes, absolutely. And I will say that while I said previously that maybe right now there will be fair added costs to going renewable, there are also benefits that over the period of time we're talking about will result in benefits that exceed the costs associated with them. And those include things like job creation, reducing carbon emissions, will improve air quality and help avert healthcare costs associated currently with poor air quality. And it will help bring local jobs to the area. And as Sierra Club and others have said, that it, and our legislation and plan says extensively, we need to make sure that we have 100% clean energy for 100% of Atlantans. As part of that, we did a really intensive study on electricity burden within the city and pinpointing specific geographies that suffer the highest burdens. As a result of this planning effort, we now know that there are several zip codes in Atlanta in which the median energy burden is above 9% which the national average energy burden is around 3.2%. So that is a very high number. And that's really the reflection of aging infrastructure and building stock that is just not operating efficiently at this time. And those also are in lower income, predominantly African-American communities, which is a major equity concern. So with this more specific data that we have around burden that's tied to geography, as well as our commitment to transition to 100% clean energy with equity as a priority, we're going to design policies and programs that really target those who need these benefits most. That's great to hear. I work with some folks in Minneapolis around uh, their 100% goal and and their uh, climate action plan. 
and they've designated some areas of the city as green zones, uh, both uh, relative to energy burden and the portion of people of color that live within those communities for some of their energy efficiency programs and other uh, renewable energy type programs. So it's nice to see that those are uh, commonly held themes. Uh, and I don't know if you talk to folks from Minneapolis, but I'm sure they would like to uh, share share notes as well about some of the different things that they can do. Yeah. You're listening to an interview with Megan O'Neill from Atlanta, Georgia, as part of our Voices of 100% series from Local Energy Rules. Do you know of any folks we should interview about 100% renewable energy commitments in their community? If so, send us an email at voicesof100 at ilsr.org. That's voices of 100 at ilsr.org. Stay tuned for the rest of this episode after a short message from our Energy Democracy Initiative Director, John Farrell. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. What's clear from the work that you guys have done in Atlanta is that uh, you know you passed your goal initially in the first half of 2017, and then there was a kind of a long process of thinking through the strategies to get there. Uh, to get to that renewable energy goal, what advice would you offer to cities that you know maybe have just adopted a goal or even just considering adopting a goal uh, in in in, the, in that process and and looking back from a position where you have done a lot of the planning about how to get there? In terms of advice to other cities, I have to say that the two most fundamental aspects of putting together a plan of the scope is. First, assessing where you're at and what it will take to get where you need to go, just in terms of your power supply and just that within your specific policy environment, what resources are available to you. And second is engagement with your community. And when I say community, I mean every sector. We met with town hall sorts of environments with over 100 people in attendance where we provided education on just energy policy in general, where Atlanta's at, how Atlantans personally are affected by fossil fuel emissions in their daily lives in ways they may not have been aware, and also the benefits that can be realized through a clean energy transition. And in those meetings, we they were primarily a conversational sort of meeting where we engaged with our community and collected their feedback on what were 
what matters were of highest priority to them, and those were all factored into the plan. In addition, we conducted a large-scale survey that was distributed throughout the community, and we also held dedicated subject matter expert group meetings with specific sectors such as equity experts, faith leaders, clean tech, economic development, housing, and environmental issues and really did deep dives with these specific groups of peers to really learn the trends they're seeing in priority areas. And all of those came together to develop the plan that we're at. And what I mentioned at the beginning of my response to this question about getting that baseline of where you're at before you do your education is because that's just essential to conducting the education successfully. When we did our initial assessment, we saw that if we maximize all the rooftop solar in the city, we'd get about 17% of the way to that 100% goal. And then if we maximize all of the green space solar potential, that would only get us another 10% of the way. And the rest would have to be achieved through a combination of efficiency, which would be about 35% of the way if we maximize all of our opportunities. And then the rest would have to be achieved through purchasing RECs. The common perception when we talk about a clean energy transition or clean energy in general is that all you have to do to achieve it is just put solar everywhere and that'll get you there. But the truth is that that's not how it works. And that while solar is hugely impactful, Putting solar panels on your roof isn't going to transition you to 100% clean energy if you don't have insulation in your attic, because you're going to be consuming so much electricity in your home that the solar isn't going to offset your demand. So you need to prioritize these efficiency measures first, and the impacts of efficiency are really dramatic to a degree that I think most people don't realize until we have these conversations. Gosh, it's really helpful in terms of the context of what other cities should consider. I think that's great advice because I think you're right that so many folks just think about, oh, if we just throw solar up everywhere, we'll be there. Uh, and not just from the efficiency standpoint, but I think also what you're highlighting is to say, you know, there's there's just not in a modern, dense urban environment enough space to put all the solar that we would need, that the solar panels don't generate enough energy from the spaces that we have available. Um So really useful, I think, for what other cities need to think about. You kind of alluded to this in that setting of the baseline or the expectations that cities have uh, that the policy environment matters, uh, that folks should consider, you know, what's available, what are the tools they have available in their state. And you mentioned earlier as well, I think it was very helpful that Atlanta, for example, has the power to set its own building energy code so that it can go beyond uh, where the state is at. You know, if there was one state policy that you could just wave a magic wand and change, you know, there'd be no political fight over it. There'd be no uh, debate over it. But you think that would make uh, make the path easier for the city in reaching this 100% renewable energy goal. What would it be? I would say a statewide efficiency standard and or renewable portfolio standard would be hugely impactful in working towards this goal. Because it would basically either reduce the denominator or increase the numerator, if you will, in that fraction that comes from renewable energy writ large to all Georgia Power customers? Exactly. 
Very good. Well, Megan, I, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to mention about the work that you guys are doing in Atlanta, but obviously we stand in a lot of admiration of you and other places that are not only setting these goals, but trying to find the way there. Um, so I thank you very much for sharing with me about it. Oh, thank you. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that in Atlanta, we're incredibly fortunate to have a whole bevy of local nonprofit partners and environmental groups, both locally and nationally, that really were major contributors to this plan. And the our local contributors in drafting the plan were South Face Energy Institute and the GreenLink Group. We couldn't have done it without them. Well, we'll make sure to include some links on the show page so folks can learn more about those organizations and the work they're doing. Uh, especially if they also happen to be in the South or Southeast and are looking to do that kind of work in their town. Uh, it could be great folks for them to reach out to. Uh, thanks again, Megan. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for listening to episode four of our Voices of 100% special podcast series, where our host John Farrell was speaking with Megan O'Neill, the City of Atlanta's Energy Programs Manager, about how Atlanta plans to reach its ambitious goal. For more information on cities that have committed to 100% renewable energy, check out the other episodes in this series and explore ILSR's interactive community power map, which is available at ILSR.org. While you're on our website, you can also find more than 50 past episodes of the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can sign up for one of our newsletters and connect with us on social media. We encourage you to tune back into the program in three weeks for the next episode in this Voices of 100% series. We'll either hear from advocates in Portland, Oregon, about an upcoming municipal ballot measure that could help fund the city's clean energy transition, or else from the small town of Abita Springs, Louisiana, on their efforts to go all in on renewable energy. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.